And I would say, do you know why you get paid to, to snowboard or ski? And they would think, well, I just got to win contests. And I was like, no. I was like, you got to win contests. Yes, that will establish your credibility, but you got to be able to bring value and sell products. The ones that really say, I want to go after and create a brand for myself. I want to develop content. I want to curate an audience. And then I can find a partner that will align with, with my audience's traits. So a lot of times we'll see brands come and maybe make a large investment in a high-flying athlete that has a lot of recognition and then layer on a broader campaign that's less dollars per individual but get uh, a wide range. And so now we're able to get brands, you know, 200 athletes that they can contract with. This is the Proco 360 Podcast. I'm Dave Tabor, hosting Proco 360 because I love Colorado and I love getting to know Colorado's entrepreneurs. Today's episode is with Chase Garrett, founder and CEO of Icon Source. And I've been super excited about this episode. In fact, I told that uh, to Chase when he came in the door. I mean, there is so, so much talk about legal and rules changes allowing amateur athletes to get paid by sponsors. And Chase created a marketplace for athletes and brands to come together for NIL, name, image, and likeness matchups. And I was on this site. It is fascinating. I could search athletes based on their school, their state, their sport, number of social media followers and other attributes. And I could consider how they might support my brand as well. This whole new world is fascinating and it's super chaotic. And I've been really excited for this conversation. Chase, I'm glad you could join me on Proco 360. Really excited to be here. Thank you for reaching out. It's exciting to lean into what Colorado can do to support entrepreneurs here. So excited to dive in. Good. So I gave a quick overview of Icon Source. You can probably give a better one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll start with my background a little bit. I've been involved in sports marketing my whole life. I saw that Red Bull. Yeah. 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 So when I was a young person, I actually raced motocross, uh, did that to a professional level, um, but decided to go to college as well, which is not popular amongst that track. No, but less broken bones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, and then when I, when I finished that, I started a small sports agency where I just represented my friends that were more successful than I were as athletes. Um, you know, kind of built that for a bit and then had the opportunity to join Red Bull and manage their athlete program here in the United States. Mm. So um, that was an incredible opportunity. Got to sign athletes like Reggie Bush, uh, Chris Bryant in baseball, Victoria Izarenka in tennis to, you know, local heroes like Red Gerard in snowboarding. So, mm. um, you know, got to work in over 40 sport disciplines, signed hundreds of athletes. So um, doing that, for a while was such an incredible education on the world of sports and, and what makes those different discipline disciplines operate from the management teams in place with sports agents to league and, um, you know, federation guidelines. And, uh, yeah, and but so, these were all, these are all uh, professional athletes though, right? I mean, they were, but you know, Red Gerard was 13 years old when I gave him ha. his first offer. Ha, so, ha. Uh, it was a, it's a wide range and, you know, we got to do deals from, you know, multi-million dollar deals with professional NBA and baseball athletes to local action sports enthusiasts that were just on the right track record. Uh, how old were you at that time? That I was working for Red Bull? Yeah. I think I started there when I was 28 and then... Uh, so you had some, you had some life experience. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I had already started my own sports agency. I was an athlete before that. And so, yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like Jerry Maguire some days? 
You know, I <laughs> I definitely have like had aspects of that. Um, now I try to be a, a platform that enables the Jerry Maguire's of the world to to evolve. Yeah, I mean, talk about evolving. I mean, this whole new marketplace caused by court rulings, right? And now amateur athletes are entitled to get paid for the use of their name, image, and likeness. So, as a as a sort of a, a foundation for <laughs> listeners, what is name, image, and likeness? I think I know, but yeah. Uh, well, it's funny because it's a it's a legal term that's been in contracts that I've been a part of since I was a young kid with sponsors racing dirt bikes, and it allows the brand to really be closely associated with an individual, and they can leverage their association by using that that person's name, uh, their likeness. So if it's like an animated or um, interpretation of the individual and looks like them with their features and kind mm. of face, facial expressions, um, and then their their actual photo image. So, so it's the ability a, to to leverage an individual for for profit. And that's a in the difference between image and likeness. Yeah, is yeah. a photo versus like a cartoonish or a, exactly a, a or reference to maybe like a nickname or something that is really well known. Um, you could say like Beast Mode for Marshawn Lynch. Um, but, uh, it's been a term that's been around for a long time. And then all of a sudden, uh, college athletics have really coined it as their own. So people are like, do you do NIL? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Uh, my whole huh. business is NIL and it's yeah. been that for a long time. And, uh, but I, I think a lot of people just get lost in, in the terminology. Yeah. Well, your platform, talk a little bit. I mean, the way I describe it, it's almost like a match.com. It puts, puts amateur and some professional athletes into a marketplace where, where brands can shop for them essentially, right? Yeah. And I mean, to back up a little bit, the reason I saw this opportunity was I was at Red Bull. Red Bull is a privately held business. They do about $20 billion a year. And they really built that from the authenticity the athletes brought to their product and their brand. And they did it before there was any, you know, basic social media metrics that said, this is a good business decision. They were just very passionate about that. As you saw with some of the early adopters like Nike and, and the other brands that got behind athletes like Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson and some of the, the top of mind individuals. Well, since then, social media has become very prevalent. Now individuals can put a lot of basic metrics around what they can deliver to brands. And so you saw this massive growth of influencer marketing from emerging brands. Meanwhile, the ecosystem around athletes had not evolved. It had stayed stagnant in that Jerry Maguire model, as you referenced earlier. Um, and all of a sudden, athletes kind of got left behind in different partnership and endorsement deals. There was always opportunities going to the very top 1%. Um, but there was many more athletes that could provide tremendous value to specific brands that align with their, um, you know, likes and interests or geographic location. So, um, so I all of a sudden felt compelled that the timing was perfect to leave an organization like Red Bull, which brings you all the credibility in the world and kind of start my own journey to disrupt how are brands intersecting with athletes and how can we catch up with where influencer marketing is going. And so that's, yeah. that's kind of how we got started. Well, and this whole idea is intriguing to me because athletes have become influencers and, and uh, it doesn't really go the other way. Influencers don't become top athletes, but it does go the other way. So I want to, actually, I'm going to come back to that. I want, I want to set a little more background yeah. before we come to that, but we <clears throat> will. And first question I had though, is, is you've got this 
I'm going to use the uh, analogy again, this match.com place, right? But it's a platform. It's a marketplace essentially for, for the athletes and the brands to come together. But who's your customer? Like, is it the athlete or is it the brand? And I know you're going to say it's both. It's just like, what's, how does that tension work for you as a business operator? Yeah, I think the phenomena of launching a marketplace is such like a complex set of rules and variables. You have to have unique influence on both sides to create that momentum to be generated. And once you have the momentum, that's your moat around your business. So you you think Amazon, for example, um, they have so much activity that that's, that's their defense, essentially. So for me, I knew I had goodwill built up with athletes and agents that I'd been doing deals with for a long time. Uh, and so I really went to them and said, hey, guys and gals, I want to find a way to keep you very relevant as society evolves and bring you more deal flow for a deeper group of raw athletes on your roster. Um, and so I kind of could, I kind of had some goodwill that I could get them to jump in early before I had a lot of opportunities. Yeah. Um, and then that gave me some time to go out and manufacture some deal flow. So that's when I lean on my relationships in the sports industry of where can I maybe you know not perfect ideal customers for our platform but people that i have a good influence on that will jump in and start to drive some use cases yeah now you mentioned it used to be like the top one percent of athletes my guess is it was even much less than that yeah uh so when you think about the use case you've created uh, chase and you're thinking about okay it's gone from maybe a tenth of one percent to now you know you look at athletes that have a few thousand social media influencers. Maybe they're on a, on a D2 school, but they're really good. I mean, how far down that continuum of, of athletes can you, are you now, can you sell the top 5%, the top 2%? You know, it's really up to the athlete, which is kind of bizarre because that doesn't really make sense, but it's who wants to lean in and really provide value for a brand partner. So there's people with influence from all shapes and sizes and the ones that really say, I want to go after and create a brand for myself. I want to develop content. I want to curate an audience. And then I can find a partner that will align with, with my audience's traits. And so- But can, um, a, can a mediocre athlete actually do that? I mean, don't, do they have to be a star at least at some level before anybody cares? I think that as an athlete, it's important to establish your credibility within your sphere because that's how people are yeah. judging you. Um, and I think once you can establish your, your domain, then you have a level of respect and that brings credibility to how do you manage your fitness? How do you, uh, the products that you use, how do they stack up? Because an athlete doesn't want to jeopardize their performance. That's given them this opportunity by using a uh, faulty product. Yeah. Until they get the- to be NFL players and then they're doing like Burger King. <laughs> Like, what the hell? That's hey, a separate subject. <laughs> hey, Marshawn Lynch, again, using him, had authenticity with eating Skittles. So you never that, really no, know. That's not, it can't be authentic. Like, the guy can't say, this is my meal. Like, anyway, that's a whole other subject. <laughs> it, no, no. I just can't. Anyway. So I got some questions about how this whole NIL works. Um, first, I want to thank listeners and let you remind you that this is Proco 360, named Best Colorado mm-hmm. Business Podcast in 2021, 2022, and 
three-peated in 2023. Thanks for your support. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. My guest today is Chase Garrett, founder and CEO of Icon Source. I want to thank our sponsors, Kinsley Meetings. I'm going to start with Kinsley Meetings. They're our longest-running sponsor. The business is growing based on a great reputation for conducting meetings with lots of complexity, lots of moving parts. Give them a call if they can help. Also, via technologies, they host Proco 360, and they help me with all the technical challenges of a, of a data-heavy site. Also, Colorado Biz Magazine, our partnership is one of building our audiences together. Go to Proco360.com and check out the sponsors. Also, shoot me a note if you'd like to join them. So, I do have some questions, Chase, around how this whole, and I just some like things I've always wondered. Like, for example, can an athlete wear his or her uniform whenever they want? When they're making money or around getting pictures, to, I mean, what's how does that work? So, if they're at a university, they have to obtain those rights from the school. Um, there's actually uh, interesting development in group rights to where if a brand is going to work with three or more athletes on the same team or six or more athletes from the same university, uh, a company called the Brander Group has gone out and secured a group rights opportunity to where that brand can now not only contract the individual, but they can get them to be able to use their jersey that has the school marks and logos on it as well. Uh, but that gets complicated. I mean, that's yeah. that's a, a whole nother level of negotiation. So, But I think it's been really amazing just to unlock the basic, hey, the individuals that have these massive followings yeah. generated um, by their sport are able to now make money. And then where it goes from there, group rights, you know, marks and, and logos, that, that's continuing Do down. Do the universities go along with it? Like, you know, I mean, a lot of athletes are only recognizable when they're wearing their school uniform so do do schools make it easy hard do they want to cut you know it's been interesting because the opening of you know nil dollars flowing through university athletes has really been kind of taken hostage by the recruiting game and so now you're seeing these what are called collectives pop up which are high net worth alumni donors that are trying to control and dictate something um, through NIL. And so um, a lot of people have a lot of different thoughts and feelings about like, oh, this is wrong. This isn't being done right. I mean, and I think we need to keep things in perspective. These are kids getting paid and they're great at their sport. So I don't think there's a tremendous amount of harm being done. Uh, but that's a reality of what's what's really been taken over with, with college NIL. Um, and it's fascinating. And sometimes you're seeing schools do creative things to get the best recruits because they know that if they have the best athletes, they win championships, yeah. they generate more dollars through well, their athletic program. Creative things. That's what a lot of us who who look at college sports and wonder what's going to happen. <laughs> uh, and, and and listeners, I'm going to come back. We're going to dig into that a little bit. But first, uh, I've got I've got a sequence, and I don't want to lose it because this is, I've been looking forward to this and planning for this conversation for a while. So we will come back to that. But I want to know, like, do you consult with athletes and with brands or are you simply a platform and then when they come together they figure out the contracts how they work together or do athletes like knock on your door and say hey chase like how do i do this i think this is an interesting lesson for any entrepreneur looking to disrupt a category you have you know probably deep experience within a sector that you've been involved in for me it was sports marketing and and endorsement deals and then you have a vision of where could this go? Where does the future look like in 10 to 20 years? 
And you start to work towards a concept to disrupt it. For me, it was, let's create a marketplace, a platform to connect athletes and brands. Um, and that's a technology solution that can be used at scale, completely self-service. But now you have, where are your customers today? And how comfortable are they to get to that sphere, which is your kind of ideal state? And you really got to understand what's that process to connect those two points of your ideal state that could be 20 years down the road and current state, which is the agents that are involved that do business a certain way, the athletes, the brands, the the marketing agencies around the brands, who's making decisions and how our budget's allocated. So um, when we first created it, it was a tech platform to be self-service and used as a match.com. Um, now we've seen, we've had to meet our customers with a fair bit of services, which would be the consulting, um, to kind of meet them where they are today and not expect everybody to evolve on their own. And that's, that I suppose becomes the, the foundational aspect of moving towards the vision, right? You've got to early on, yeah. early adopters have to maybe be helped yep. along that journey until now you reach a critical mass. Totally. And you know, it's funny when our customers come to us, they just want fish, and we want to teach them how to fish, you know, essentially. And mm -hmm. so they're like, give me the right athletes, you know, to fulfill this campaign. And we're like, okay, we, we can do that at the beginning. And then we start to teach them, you know, what's easier than contracting our team to get on the phone and go through these plans with you is teach you how to make these decisions on the fly that can help you actually develop new potential campaigns. So it's a, it's a fun process, but it's definitely something that's been a, a little bit of a learning curve for us and our customers. Yeah. And, and that balance, right? You, it's, it's hard to scale delivering personal service the way, I mean, originally you built this platform to be self-service. Correct. But the best way to scale is to create uh, happy customers. And that's, that's how you really evangelize your message. Yeah. So happy customers you might build by helping them. Then you end up creating a mass of people who who are attracted to that history, to those testimonials and all that kind of stuff, right? And then yeah. they'll figure it out. And beyond happy customers to take Chick-fil-A's term, raving fans. Yeah. And so we are happy to over-deliver at this stage um, with our customers. Yeah. Now, what kind of what kind of money are you talking about? I mean, we, we hear about, you know, professional athletes that get make more money in endorsements even than their 20 and 30 and $50 million annual contracts. But, you know... We could talk about the few very top athletes separately, but if you look at the the bell curve and you know your your athletes, what are they making? A, a few thousand bucks a year, ten fifty thousand dollars a year on this kind of thing. You know, it's been fascinating. Obviously, we started with just professional athletes because it was before the NCAA lifted their oh, yeah. regulations for college athletes, um, and it's it's a wide range. I think a lot of NFL players and baseball players make less than you would imagine on endorsement deals. And a lot of them just want to be connected with really great brands. And mm -hmm. so there's a fair bit of value you bring just connecting brands like Lululemon or um, a watch company with an athlete that it just makes them happy. Um, and then we've seen, obviously, with the college NIL opening up, it's expanded the sort of um, customer base of brands that think that they now have access to work with an athlete that could be mm -hmm. on their range. So we see deals with individuals that are $2,500, $500. But we also have done deals in our platform north of $550,000 for one contract. And uh, it's it's been fascinating just to see and for me, I'm happy at all sizes because that's individuals coming together and finding ways to leverage 
you know, sports. Well, that's that that joyful, greater environment, right? That people who at all ends of those spectrums can yep. can work through you, and that's got to be fun. And I noticed too that athletes can can select to be paid with cash and or product. Yes. So to that, or, you know, the lower end, I suppose, you know, uh, athletes are happy to be like some of them probably just are happy to get free stuff and talk about it. Absolutely. And now in 26 states, um, high school athletes are actually able to get paid using their NIL. So now we're thinking not only free product, but discounted product. And so mm. now it really opens up who your user base could be from come engage with our product. You get half off because mm-hmm. you're a high school athlete, get free product or let us pay you to use our product in the most authentic way. So um, the range is, is very wide. I used to say our ideal customer is just any brand that needs connectivity to sport that doesn't yeah. naturally have it. But I can imagine how fun it would be to just get like, you know, relatively unknown high school kids that have social active social media accounts give them all a free pair of shoes and let them sing your praises on all their, right? I mean, yep. it's it's a, you know, uh, the math works. Totally. Well, and and those kids, they're around people every single day. They're they're using your product. People are watching bragging. them. I got yeah. these for free. Exactly. You know, and, are, yeah. and a lot of brands, um, they're chasing that teenager market because that's where those new trends start. Yeah. And that's some of the hardest consumers to get your mm. product on. So, yeah. So backing up a little bit, I mean, this this platform you built wasn't cheap. Uh, you had to raise a fair amount of money. You had to put in a – describe their funding, describe your team. Yeah. So, um, you know, I had kind of mulled over this decision for a while because it's frightening to leave a, a great job. Um, but it was similar time that I, like, I met my wife and I was kind of going through this, all right, what is my legacy? What am I going to build? You know, I can't just continue working for somebody forever. So I felt really felt compelled that the timing was right. And, um, I, I quit Red Bull, sold my house and just dove all in said, all right, we're going to just build this thing from the ground. Uh, initially raised 500,000, uh, on a $2 million pre-money valuation off of, Hey, this is an idea I have. Hmm. I have connectivity and understanding. And I raised it primarily from professional athletes that were kind of in my sphere. So they gave us some credibility within each vertical and could open some doors, um, and then I closed my round. Actually, the last check-in was Mason Plumley when he was playing for the Denver Nuggets hmm. um, on like March 5th, 2020. And then obviously the world went through quite a transition yeah, yeah, yeah. a few days later. Terrible so time. That yeah. was kind of a, an interesting stage because I was like, well, what's the future look like? Is this good? Is this bad? You know, marketing dollars are turning into payroll dollars. Like everything was just like up in the air. Um, and then that's when the conversation around college NIL started to progress quickly, which we knew would be rocket fuel for our business. And so going into 2021, we raised an additional 1.6 million, um, and that gave us some runway. Was that more like athletes talking to their buddies and saying, let's do this all together? Yeah, we had a, a few smaller institutional groups, GAN Ventures, which is local here to Colorado, um, Hawk Ventures, which is a venture arm of a marketing agency that wanted to collaborate with us. So they, they invested in then athletes and individuals. So, um, and then, you know, the most exciting day of our company, July 1st, 2021, when college NIL opened up and we did the first deal in history. So, um, that was a, a pretty fascinating, 
I would say 24 hours for us because, you know, never in the past could has college athletes gotten paid without some, you know, you know, implications that we're going to be really bad. You know? Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. And so we, uh, we ended up doing a deal with another Colorado company, I guess, kind of boost mobile owned by dish network here, here in Denver. Um, and they contracted the Cavender twins. So Haley and Hannah Cavender, they are, they play basketball. They have a large social media following. Um, and they wanted to do the first college NIL deal in oh, history. Cool. So at 1201 AM, they sent them the deal huh. through our platform. We had all gathered in New York, bought a billboard in Times Square that said, cha-ching, finally college athletes can get paid. And then we showed the Cavender twins and Boost and went through a, a really impressive media tour uh, where we actually got a little over 3.7 billion media impressions. Um, wow. Which was a, oh. an insane day. Wow, what a launch. Yeah. Well, now, I want to understand a little bit better about how these strategies unfold, how companies do that. You mentioned the uh, boost deal. And, you know, as you look at how companies are structuring these, because now, now it's just not the huge companies going after the huge players, but, you know, you can, you can find your niche based on, you know, whatever strategy you want, whatever your budget is. And so are you seeing a trend where companies are still trying to get the most expensive athletes they can or are they doing other strategies where they collect like a whole group of inexpensive 5,000 social media follower people and affordably just sort of almost like, you know, from the grassroots, you know, reach right. this broad group of people. How are they doing? <clears throat> yeah. Well, I think there's so many strategies on how you can leverage athletes that can be really beneficial. You know, for one, giving your product credibility. If you see a product pushed to you on, say, Instagram, and you don't really recognize any of the people that's attached to it, that they're using in their advertisement campaigns, you kind of start to question, you know, where's the validity behind this? And so uh, if a brand's looking to just get basic credibility, I think there's a range from athletes that can be relatable and trustworthy, uh, and then athletes that can bring tremendous brand experience. So a lot of times we'll see brands come and maybe make a large investment and a high-flying athlete that has a lot of recognition, and then layer on a broader campaign mm. that's less dollars per individual, but get uh, a wide range. And so now we're able to get brands, you know, 200 athletes that they can contract with. Um, we had a brand just the other day, they built a campaign and they made it open, which means athletes that are on our platform can see it and, and say that they'd be interested to be a part of it. And in 24 hours... I believe they got 250 athletes uh, respond saying they want to be a part of it. So now you have 250 athletes wow. that Opting are authentic and that what say, do they... I like your brand. I like your product. Oh. I use this today. Um, let's look at a, at a deeper partnership where wow. we can work together. And what do the athletes actually do? It's a range. It can be a long-term standard endorsement deal with branding, with appearances, with social media components, or it can be each of those verticals. Sometimes we'll see brands like Microsoft will pay athletes just to come speak at a sales meeting or a holiday event. Um, or we'll see a lot of new brands just want to dip their toe in and do a social media campaign and yeah. say, hey, let's just see if we can have you talk about using your our product in your stories. And I suppose in the agreement, the, the contracting brand is either saying we're going to deliver this content or we're requiring you, we're agreeing that you will deliver this content X number of times over this period of whatever. 
Exactly. So typically that's an intimidating process huh. of a brand saying, how do I even go about what the expectations are? What's my rights? If they are doing user-generated content, should I be able to approve it? And so we, on our platform, walk them through step-by-step and really easy environment that that just asks them those questions and then they come through and they check yes no how many days in advance do they need to have um you know the content on hand so there's a structured sort of menu operation that they can and then and then that all gets converted to a legal contract that lists all this in the terms and conditions so this way when two people meet each other we can take them to 80% of the way to completion without having to contract a sports agency yeah. to just consult. Not oh, that we we don't cool. cut out sports agents, but yeah. we want to make their life easier so that they don't have to handhold somebody. Uh, especially some of these contracts aren't huge. And to have to worry about an expensive contract and a time consumer exactly. would be horrible. Yeah. Hey, this is Proco 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. And this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere in Choose Colorado. This episode is with Chase Garrett of Icon Source. Go to Proco 360 to subscribe to the newsletter, read my blog, link to sponsors, and catch the books I'm listening to on Audible. So uh, this is super fun. And by the way, uh, listeners, Chase gave me access behind sort of into the platform access uh, as a brand using it. And I played around quite a bit with it. It is super fun, by the way. It's just, it's like shopping for, <laughs> shopping for uh, pros. It's I, cool. I mean, you can send a campaign or a deal opportunity to Tom Brady and in real time, his agent will tell you if he's open to it or not. And and I just use his and him yeah. as an example. There's also local university athletes. There's a he, wide range. Yeah, I shop for, you know, local universities in Colorado. <laughs> I, I think I we have use that term shopped. That's shop. not that's tacky, isn't it? Shopping yeah. for athletes. I think we currently have over 18,000 athletes across professional college and high school and then um over 850 sports agents are currently using wow. it with their roster of athletes. That's cool. I noticed 17 athletes have over 300,000 social media followers. Four have over a million. And uh, listeners, the number one, if you're curious, uh, you can turn down the sound if you want to guess, but the number one is Olivia Dune with 4.3 million social media followers. She's a a gymnast and now also a Sports Illustrated cover model. Uh, Number two is Angel Reese of the NCAA Women's Basketball Champs LSU. And what I found interesting is like, one seems to have her value raised by her, I'll just call them non-athletic qualities, not sports specifically related. The other by her athletic prowess and sort of her persona. Although these things seem to overlap. I mean, like, what's your take on that? You know, it's funny. When I was working at Red Bull, I would sit down with a lot of our young snowboarders and skiers. And I would say, do you know why you get paid to, to snowboard or ski? And they would think, well, I just got to win contests. And I was like, no. I was like, you got to win contests. Yes, that will establish your credibility, but you got to be able to bring value and sell products for the brands that are going to get behind you. And it kind of like demystified it. And it was kind of sad. You could see them kind of like, what? Like that seems like a sellout. And I'm like, there's no other place the money comes from. You're only going to get money from people that are passionate about it on a donation perspective. And so even though it's not, you know, pretty to hear that, it's real. And so there's a combination of, you know, establish yourself within your sport platform to be the best or at least be at a high level. Step one. Yeah, step one. And then step two, 
how are you how are you influencing your audience? Do people want to be more like you? Are you fun? Are you exciting? Are you anti-authoritarian? Are you maybe very buttoned up and professional? There's markets for a wide range of different personality types. There's definitely not one perfect way to do it other than what aligns most with hmm. you as an individual. Yeah. And so so it's not what I'm hearing you say when I'm when I'm extracting from this is that it's not just purely social media numbers. It's also probably stickiness within certain social media audiences, right? Yeah. And it's and it's aligning with the right brands that fit your audience. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can tell you our biggest earners are female athletes. The ones that you just named are at the top of our list. So um, because they deliver mm-hmm. and they deliver in different forms, but they deliver meaningful results for our brand partners, wow. which is what's really important with us and why we're willing to consult because we want brands to have a really good experience mm. and say, wow, I haven't seen this kind of growth ever. Let's get more creative wow. on leveraging athletes. All right. Now we're running a little over. Are you okay if we keep talking? It's fine with me. Cool. Um, what has surprised you in how brands and athletes sort of come together and do this work? I think just the new participants, which was my original goal, was, all right, endemic companies like Gatorade, Red Bull, Nike, they've been in this space for a while, but I wanted to grow this sphere. And so now we're seeing companies that have never been a part of sports marketing and probably never thought about it before engaging because they feel that there's a really cool local initiative. So uh, Hydrate IV, which is another Denver Colorado company here engages with athletes. Hmm. Um, I could see where this would even get outside of sports into other, I mean, like, well, maybe some would argue ballet is sport, yeah. but I mean, any, like your platform works for any kind of an influencer marketplace, doesn't it? Yes. We, we try to stay focused around sports. Yeah, so that makes athlete sense. or sport influencer or sport personality. We want to kind of stay within the constraints mm-hmm. of those walls. We think yeah. it establishes a premium credibility because every individual has a significant revenue source outside of college athletes yeah. attributed to their yeah. sport. Um, and, and so they're not just looking for any yeah. Yeah. Now, okay. So I'm glad you mentioned that comment, except for college athletes, blah, 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 because that's not the case anymore. And that brings us to what I will call sort of this big elephant in the room, which you alluded to earlier, I promised to get back to, which is the feeling that NIL, the sports portal, you know, all of these recent court decisions, which have changed college sports in the views of many are ruining college sports. <laughs> Even if you don't think it's ruining college sports, there's no doubt that it's creating chaos. So is this all your fault? It's all my fault. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, sometimes I wonder, should we have all had the college sport sort of playground that we all had to watch? You know, who is college sports for? Is it for the athletes or is it for us sitting at home? You know, and who's the most important person in that discussion. I believe it's the athlete that's laying it on the line, that's committed to their craft. They're the best at what they do. And they've been trying to to craft that since they were young. Um, and then now how do we layer on some fairness and some scalability and stuff that promotes goodness? And I believe a lot of these athletes engaging in these types of business opportunities at a really young age provides them a chance to learn. It provides them almost a glorified internship to figure out how do I fall into a marketing mix Mm. of a brand? How do I manage my dollars? How do I understand what taxes are? I mean, we teach a lot of kids what a W-9 is. And 
it's nice for them to have that familiarity before they get into maybe a different level that's even a higher consequence. And then for 98% of the athletes, they don't go pro at their sport. So here's a great opportunity for them to maybe graduate with some money for a down payment of a house or to give them some flexibility to move to that place that they really want to build their life at. And so I absolutely love it. I think the transfer portal is arguably a lot more disruptive than than we are. <laughs> um, you put the two together and it makes for every season, who knows who's going to be at the top. Um, I think it evens the playing field a little bit, but um, it's definitely exciting and it's chaotic. And I, I don't want to say it's not, but I at least want to find a way to shepherd the users in the most uh, productive sort of yeah. safe path. I would think, I got this notion that the transfer portal is really going to create, you know, at least a two tier, maybe multiple tiers of actual college programs. You know, the elite, the elite that can afford, whether it's through boosters or whatever NIL contracts that, you know, there'll be a few at the very top. And then I don't know what will happen, but the other tiers will be the top tier is going to be almost like the what single A baseball is now to... Yeah. You know, the base. Yeah. I, I definitely sympathize for coaches. They've oh. lost a lot of their ability to sort of, um, I don't know, develop just, a program? De- develop. <laughs> but I mean, you can yeah. also go get a new program the next year. But uh, we they see def- that in Colorado, don't we? Totally. Yeah. They definitely don't have the same level of authority over their team as they used to. And so I don't know. Maybe that's good. Maybe it's bad. I think most coaches would say it's probably less good. Yeah. Um, but it's exciting. And I think it's going to keep the fan base on their toes. Uh, and I'm hoping that it drives more deals to athletes that are committed to their craft than your generic influencer that nobody knows why they Mm -hmm. have a million followers, but they just take pictures on the beach all day. So that's fair. (laughs) Now, um, because Proco 360 is focused on Colorado companies, you're based in Colorado. Why? And how, what's that meant for you? You know, um, initially I'm from, outside of the Atlanta area. Um, and then I moved here in 2014 with Red Bull and kind of fell in love with it. You know, there's every major sport team here. There's a plethora of action sports, Olympic sports. It's central. Um, you know, it's it's a new, exciting place that's trying to really build their entrepreneurial landscape. So, yeah. um, so far, um, we like it. And now I'm building a family here. We have our office is uh, out near Golden. Um, and it's been great. Good talent as well. Great. Um, all right. Last question. Going forward, you know, as you think about, you know, where all this is going, um, what we talked a little bit about the chaos of what's happening. But I mean, if you could think out three, four, five years, what do you where do you think this is all going to end up? Or is it just going to be more and bigger? I believe that it's just going to be a little bit more streamlined. It'll be less chaotic. The whole um, sports world? Or are you talking about just your I, marketplace? I think specifically college is going to really professionalize a lot. And it will be a little less chaotic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't think that that's going to hurt us. I don't think it's going to dramatically help us. But I think it's going to at least provide some clarity for how people move within those spectrums. Uh, and then, and then I believe that brands are going to really adopt, how do I work with athletes? How do I find the right person? How important is authenticity? Um, if I'm going to work with an athlete, should I do more than get them to take a picture eating my Mm -hmm. cheeseburger? And so, um, we know that we deliver 
results for the brands because there's authenticity attached to these campaigns. You get brought into an entirely new group of, of new consumers. And so uh, we just need to shepherd more brands into, into the category. And that's our mission. That's cool. So we're going to start to see lesser known brands or evolving brands or emerging brands starting to take advantage of these strategies going forward. Absolutely. That's cool. Hey, that's a good place to wrap up, I think. <laughs> I'm your host, Dave Tabor. Today on Proco 360, you've been listening to my conversation with Chase Garrett of Icon Source. Glad you could join me in the studio. This has been uh, a great conversation. You're going to have to come back in a year or two when we figure out where this really has gone. Yeah, it's been fun. I really appreciate you having uh, me on today and look forward to growing here in Colorado and, and seeing what what can come from it. Cool. Listeners, glad you're here. And by the way, I got to tell you, I was doing a search. And I was thinking, what athlete, because you got super, like, you, you can align with athletes to all different interests, everything from chess to book reading to kayaking and all that. You don't have one with entrepreneurial stuff. We need to add that so that when I go find an athlete <laughs> to align with Proco 360, I can find someone who's into entrepreneurial endeavors. That is true. Although you can search in our keywords, anything, and it will pull it out of their bio. So you can type in yoga. You could type in, you know, books and yeah. anybody that's listed that in their profile, it'll automatically pull it. Good so. to know. Don't kick me off yet. I'm going to find that. Listeners, glad you're here on Proco 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast. And if you haven't yet, it's a huge help if you submit a review in your app. Thanks again to our show sponsors, Via Technologies, Kinsey Meetings, and Colorado Biz Magazine. That's the show. Live, work, love Colorado.